Today we are 20 days away from our 100 consecutive day study in the book of John. Today we are continuing our sermon series, preparing for something great. For several weeks now we've been going through God's word, preparing ourselves as a church for something great. Let me ask the question this morning, aren't you ready for something great? And friends, I want to tell you, I'm not just talking words, I'm not just Uh, trying to do something for the sake of doing something. I'm not just having some sort of pep rally, trying to, to pump something up. Today, aren't you ready for something great? This week in our community, we see death unexpected. We see wickedness unimaginable. We live in a world where people can't wait to tell you the bad news and there's an avalanche of bad news that is coming down on us. Aren't you ready for something great. Folks, I want to tell you, it can happen. It is possible. God is still alive. He is still active. He is still gracious and compassionate to sinners. He is still powerful. Yes, he is mighty to save. What could God do? Can you imagine what could God do? Aren't you ready for something great? Last Sunday night, we met to pray for this effort in our evening service, and Marco prayed, and in part of his prayer, he asked that God would move in a way that we'd one day tell our kids about it. If Christ hasn't come back, that there would be a day and we'd tell our kids and our, grand, and our grandkids about these events, these days. Oh, that God would move like that in our midst. Well, today we continue our series, Getting Ready, Preparing for This Effort. So far, the first week, uh, we looked at some reasons why God does not move today. We went and looked at some reasons uh, why God does not move today. The next week, we asked the question, why do we care? Why do we care if God moves? Why do we want to see his hand move? What is it to us? And then last week we started the practical steps. Since we do care, what do we do as a church? Actually, practically, what do we do as a church? Okay, we want God to move. We're seeking his hand, his movement. What is it that we should do as a church? And we have three steps that we're going to look at. First, last week we saw that we pray. And then this week we see that we prepare And next week, we're going to see that we preach. Last week, we prayed. This week, the message is entitled, We Prepare. We Prepare. Today, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 through 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 through 14. We Prepare. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of the Word of God. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in the 11th verse, God's word says this. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, 
and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we are thankful for you. We're thankful that you are compassionate. We're thankful that your compassions do not have a limit, that they are infinite as you are. We're thankful for your grace and your kindness shown to us in our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that we have hope today. No matter the circumstances of our world, we have peace that is settled and finished in Jesus today. Lord, I pray that you would prepare us as a people, that you would prepare us as a church, that you would prepare us as individuals, that you would get our attention, that you would grab our hearts. And Lord, I pray we would be about your business, that we would be diligent in your service. And I pray that the result would be the gospel would go forward. The good news, the banner of Christ would be held high. And Lord, I pray that in every piece of it that you're known and that you're glorified. Lord, I'm thankful for the camp of this past week. I'm thankful for the, the young ears and minds and hearts and souls that were entrusted to the care of your church. And Lord, I, I, I pray also that the, the word continue, the seeds would continue to grow and to sprout, and that salvation would, would spring up, and that you'd be glorified in that. Lord, I pray in this, in this hour the same thing, that you would be known, that you would be praised, that you would be glorified, and I pray that you would speak. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How do you prepare for a movement of God? You ever think about that? Is, is there a formula? Are there, are there some things that you should do? Are there some things that you can do? Maybe it's not even in our hands. How do you prepare for a movement of God? And we've determined in our day we need to see God's hand move. We need to see his gospel go out. We want to see his power on display. We want the world to know we serve a living, risen Savior. Well, how do we prepare for a movement of God? We are praying. Last week we saw that we can pray with expectation. Jesus told us that. We saw that we can be sure all of the resources, all of the power of heaven is available to us as we seek and we move, seek God and move in his will. And so we're praying. And I'll just tell you, I believe it is vital that we're praying. I, I believe it is a powerful thing that we're praying. I believe it is necessary for us as the church to be found in prayer. So we are praying. What else should we do? What else can we do? Well, the answer is found in one word. It is the starting place for every mighty movement of God. And I mentioned this, I, I've looked into it, every revival that is marked in scripture, every revival that is known, a true revival outside of scripture, started with this one word. If you find God and he is working and he is moving, every revival, movement of God, begins with this one word. So here's what we do. 
repent. We repent. If you want to see God's hand move, you repent. If you want to see a revival in your life, maybe you're here saying, I don't know how I got where I'm at. If you want to see a revival in your life, if you want to see a revival in your marriage and in your home, if you want to see a revival in your church, if you want to see a revival in our land, you repent. We repent. That is the requirement. I've heard that before. Maybe you have as well. We hear that word. You repent. Repent. But the question then becomes, well, what does that mean? Okay, we're going to repent. What what does that actually look like for us today? Yes, we see we want God's hand to move. Yes, we want him to be known in power. Okay, we see the formula calls for us to repent. What does that look like? Well, today in 2 Chronicles, we see a picture. In 2 Chronicles, we find an explanation And actually in 2 Chronicles, we find a pattern for us to follow. Be sure that's what we see here. It is a pattern for us to follow. In 2 Chronicles, Solomon has completed the dream of his father David. He's completed the magnificent temple. He is in the process of its dedication. It is a glorious event. It is an extravagant event. God has told them he is going to dwell in their midst. And in this process, there is a feast going on. Sacrifices are being offered. 144,000 sheep and rams have been sacrificed. People are found in worship during this time. And into that, during that time, God speaks. Verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. Verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now if you go back and read chapter 6, you'll see that Solomon prays a great prayer of dedication, and that's recorded in the sixth chapter. Well, imagine now, God says, I have heard your prayer. God appears to me tonight, I have heard your prayer. I will dwell here. And then he, God, says this, verse 13. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. The 13th verse says, God has shut up the heaven. There is no rain, there is a drought in the land. Because of the drought, the crops are perishing. The crops do not sprout and spring up. The vineyards are drying out. The the surpluses of grain that have been stored are are running low, they are running out, and the the animals are found, and there's no grass to eat, and they are becoming thin, and they are starving. The green pastures have become dusty deserts. It says not only that, the locusts at God's command have devoured the land. Understand, that is not a slow process as the drought. It is a quick demise. The crops are standing. The grass 
is growing. The trees are blooming and the, the locusts come and they strip it all bare. They eat it until it's all gone. If the locusts come and they strip the land bare. And then he says, pestilence. Listen to this. He says that he will send among the people. Listen to the words. Among the people. A pestilence in Hebrew translates a plague, listen, a disease that brings destruction. It's the most literal translation. It means thorns or trouble. God says here in the 13th verse, if your day is marked by death, if it is marked by disease and trouble, and God says, and if I caused it, that's what it says, and if I caused it, I'm going to stop right here for just a second. Why would he send that? We, we learned this week in our camp, he is compassionate. He is, he is gracious. He shows us great grace. He says, if these things have happened, if there's disease and death and destruction in the land, and if I caused it, why would he do that? Why, why would he judge them like that? What has caused this? Now, you can find the answer in the prayer of Solomon in chapter 6. He says it's because of sin. That's what Solomon says. You can find the answer in the response of God in chapter 7. There in verse 21, the passerbys ask, why has the Lord done thus to the land and to this house? The passersby see what is going on, and they say, why has the Lord done this? Why has this occurred? Listen to verse 22. And they will say, because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them from the land of Egypt, and they adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them, therefore he has brought all this adversity on them. I want you to get this. I want you to see this. They forsook the Lord. Why has this occurred? Because they forsook the Lord. The word, the Hebrew word for forsook here, it means to leave behind. I want you to see the picture. It means to have nothing to do with. It means to abandon. They, they left God. They abandoned God. They have nothing to do with the God that had delivered them. And that's what it says, the God that has provided for you and blessed you and cared for you, the God that has delivered you, you have abandoned God. You have forsaken God. Not only that, they adopted other gods and worshiped and served them. Adopted in Hebrew, the original language, means embraced, taken hold of, most literal, they have grown in. They have grown in the false gods. They're clinging to the false gods. Let me just tell you, and it's not hard to see, but we don't want to see it. And it needs to be said, but nobody wants to say it. 2021, do you know our problem today? Do you know our problem today? 
Do you know the problem in our nation? Man, we see this thing and this thing and this group and that group and this lobbyist group and this politician and this will happen and this will happen. Do you know the problem in our nation today? Do you know the problem in our churches today? Do you know the problem in our homes today? Our homes are being just ransacked and our kids are hurting. Do you know the problem in the home today? We got committees and they're saying, if you'll do this and if you'll do that and if you'll put these things in, do you know our problem today? It is this, we have forsaken God. We've left him behind. He provided for us, he delivered us and we have abandoned God today. We're so self-absorbed today. We're so self-focused today. We're so cultured and sophisticated, so intelligent today that the idea of God is beneath us. The idea of God is ridiculous today. And in our smugness today, we have abandoned, forsaken God. He's not the creator, no. He's not the sustainer, no. This is not the truth. He's not the truth. Perfect in wisdom. We have all of our stuff and we have all of our things and we're getting all of our money and we're comfortable today and we have abandoned God. And in doing so, we have embraced, we have grown in the false gods of the world. That's what's happening. This isn't God's word. There's problems with it. It's not, it's not without error. We can't trust it. That's what the world says. We're not going to submit to it for sure. That's, that's old fashioned. We're not going to submit to the word of God. Not today. We'll get our truth anywhere. We'll get our truth everywhere but here. And we are holding onto the false gods of the world, and I want you to look at the result of that. Look around today. Sin is rampant. Wickedness is celebrated. Can you imagine holding up to the God that delivered us? Pride month, sin is celebrated today. And we're suffering, and we're drowning, we're running, and we're thinking, oh, if we could just get this, if we could just do that, and we're drowning, and our hearts are crushed as the world perishes. Isn't that the Old Testament? People say that. Isn't it different now? Isn't it different? Isn't God different now? Isn't this the age of grace? That's what it is. Hasn't it all changed? Well, let me tell you something. God has always been gracious. And I don't, I don't like the idea that there's been a time he wasn't gracious. He was gracious. This speech he's given to them is gracious. Our God is gracious. Our God is infinite in grace and he's always been infinite in grace. But let me show you something this morning. In the New Testament book of Romans, written by the apostle Paul of the church age, after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus in this age, in these days, we find Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 32. And I want you just to listen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
in unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, listen to that, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit, listen to this, to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God and those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Listen very carefully. Hear me this morning. God judges sin today. God lets us suffer the consequence of sin today. And in judgment against sin, God will turn us over to our depraved hearts and mind. Look at the world we're living in today. God is perfect in justice. That has not and will not change. And he judges sin. Is that an Old Testament thing? Listen, that's the New Testament. God judges sin. See what's wrong with our preaching today? We're not going to talk about sin. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to gloss over that. We're going to tell you all the things that are good, and we're not going to tell you the truth that God cannot stand sin, and he judges sin. So what do we do? Back to the main verse. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. God judges sin, so what do we do? Let me read the verse. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways that I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Verse 14 is spoken to Solomon for the sons of Israel. It is our pattern 
uh, today of what repentance looks like. Now understand that it, it is spoken to Solomon. It is for the sons of Israel at this day, but it is our pattern today of what true repentance looks like. And so let's walk through this verse. What does repentance look like? Here's what it looks like. And my people, here's the first thing. And my people, here's the first thing. The movement will start with God's people. That's what it says, in my people. Sometimes, and I'll just tell you a lot of the time, we are upset with the lost world. We watch what's going on in the culture, we watch the news today, and we see their evilness, we see their wickedness, and we are upset with the lost world. We are shocked by them, we point fingers at them, we talk about them. Well, I want you to hear me this morning, here's the deal. Listen very carefully. We should not be surprised, not one even little bit, when lost people act like lost people. Do you know that? I wonder, how can they do that? What's wrong with them? I don't understand our world and our culture. Listen, we should not be surprised when lost people act like lost people. That's what they do. And let me tell you something, brother and sister. We should be bothered when saved people are no different to the watching world than the lost people around us. That's what ought to wake us up. That's what ought to grieve us when the, when the saved people professing Christ are so muddied in, so compromised, we can't tell them apart. It says, who are called by my name? And my people who are called by my name. Now I want to bring back into view the heaviness of that. Remember, in our second week of this sermon series, we were talking about why would we care? Who cares? Why would we care? Well, we care because we carry the name, the banner of Christ. Why should we care if God moves? Why should we care what the world sees? It is because we carry the name of Jesus. Listen, here's what the verse is saying again. What we do reflects on Jesus. What you did this week has reflected on Jesus. How you spoke, how you prioritized your life, the business that you did, the places that you went, how you lived, how I lived, how we lived this past week has reflected on Jesus. What we do reflects on Jesus. Folks, the reason the church is stagnant today is because Christians carrying the name of Jesus look just like the world that we live in and we gossip like the world and we fight like the world and we wink and accept sin like the world that we live in. Be sure how you live, Christian, Christian high schooler, Christian young person, Christian parent, Christian older person, how you live, Christian, is pointing to what you believe of Jesus and the world sees it. If my people carrying my honor, carrying my name, that's what it says, humble themselves. Now here we go with repentance. Humble themselves. Humble in Hebrew means to bring low. 
You see, our culture today, we don't, want to, we don't want to be brought low. We exalt ourselves and we exalt each other and I'll exalt you and you exalt me and we'll have news shows and we'll exalt somebody else and it's all about pride. And it's all about being the biggest and the best and, and the richest. Humble means to bring low. Listen, it means to place under, to place under others or ahead of me, to submit. It literally means this. To bend a knee. To bend a knee. That's the most literal translation. It means to set aside your pride, to set aside your reputation, to place yourself under God, to say, God, I submit to you. I know who you are and I see who I am and I bow and I surrender to you. I want you to notice that from your knees. You can't fight. Did you notice that? You can't fight from your knees. If you're going to fight somebody, it would be ridiculous to start off on your knees. You can't self-promote from your knees. No, you got to stand up. You got to get high somewhere. You can't self-promote from your knees. Repentance is humbling yourself. Then it goes on and says, and pray and seek my face. If my people carrying my banner, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Listen, who are we turning to? Who are we calling on? We have to be sure where is our hope? Who, who alone is gonna be our answer? Where will our help come from? Folks, we need to be sure today. We are calling on no one less and no one different, and no one other than God, the creator of heaven and earth himself. Do you understand that? Who is our hope? Where, where's our help gonna be found? If we have an answer, what is our answer? We are crying alone to God, the creator of heaven and earth himself. God, help us. God, save us. God, move. God, let it be for your glory. We <coughs> cry out to God. We turn to God. You know what the world has put into us? And I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to believers. We've lived in these days We've absorbed all the things of this world. You know what the world's put into us today? We do not cry out to God. You notice that? We tip our hats to God. We come and we worship a couple hours out of a week, some, somehow maybe letting God know, hey, we're still around. But you know, our world has trained us today that we do not cry out to God. That's absurd. They don't believe he's real. They wouldn't cry out to him. But that somehow has drifted into the church today. And as the church, we do not cry out to God. There's division in the land. We cry out to politicians. Look at our churches. They've taken up that cause. There's division in the land. There's problems in the land. We go looking for politicians. There's trouble in the land. We go looking for the government. Oh, what are we gonna do? Somebody give us a regulation. Someone tell us. There's problems in the land. Let's see what the government will do. There's a pandemic in the world and we cry out to Fauci or some World Health Organization. Listen, our hope is in God. As the church, we seek God. We turn to God. That is our help. He alone is our answer. 
Well, you got your salvation. We'll get your answer from somewhere else. Well, you got your salvation, your eternity. We'll get your instruction somewhere else. Listen, we in the church, we humble ourselves and we admit our hope alone is in God. The last part, it says turn. It's the word for repent. Do you know what repent means to turn? It actually means to change your mind, to turn. It says turn from your wicked ways. If you're actually going to repent, it's not just speaking words. It's not just an intent. You actually have to Turn from your wicked ways. Leave your sin. Turn from your anger. Oh, I can't get over that. Turn from your anger. Turn from your jealousy. Turn from your lust. Turn from your self-promotion. Turn from your sin. Repent. Turn away from those things. You have to be deliberate. You have to do it. And turn to God. Here's the truth. If we're gonna see God move, we have to be serious about sin. We have to be deliberate in God's power and for God's glory to turn away from sin. That sounds like some kind of old sermon. That sounds like some kind of old remedy. Listen, that is the truth. We turn from sin. We walk away from wickedness, turning our eyes to God. God's not moving today because we want both things. We've been led to think we can have both things. I want the blessing of God, but I still want to revel in the world's filth and sin. Listen, if God's going to move, we have to turn from it. Turn from your wicked ways. That's the word of God. And then here is God's promise to his people Israel. The God of the universe, the God of creation, God himself says, if you'll do those things, God himself says, I will hear from heaven, compassionate. I won't close my ears. I won't won't shut my ears. I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin. That's what it says. You're tired of your sin, he'll forgive it. He'll remove it as far as the east is from the west. I don't want to carry the shame of it. Listen, if you'll repent, he will forgive your sin and I will heal their land. There'll be life where there was death. There'll be renewal. There'll be revival in the land. God has never, ever, never, not one time, take this to the bank, hear me. God has never forsaken a repentant person. Do you know that? There's never been a person that said, you know what? I'm gonna turn to you and you're my hope and you're my answer and in your empowerment, forgive me, Lord, of this sin. Forgive me, help me repent and turn. There's never been a repentant person that God has forsaken. 
in Jesus Christ. If we'll repent, he saves us. As believers, if we'll repent, he hears and he restores, he brings back to life and he blesses. God has never forsaken a truly repentant person. So how do we prepare? Last week, we pray with expectation. We pray and we seek the resources of God, the power of God. This week, we see it's a heart matter. We repent. How do we prepare? We repent. Go with me to the Lord in prayer. During Father Week, uh, and we just tell you, Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry that we forsake you. We're sorry that we get enamored with the crud of this world. We're, we're so sorry we get comfortable with the things of this world. We get so influenced and compromised in the teachings of this world that we do not cry out to you. And so, Lord, we come today and we exalt you. You're the God of creation. You're the God that sustains us. You're our provision. You're our answer. You're our hope. You're trustworthy, you're faithful, you're compassionate, you're gracious, you're kind, you're living, you're active, you're powerful, you're mighty to save. Lord, we worship you today. Our hope, our answer, our peace is found in you. We exalt your name. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus. We're thankful that we have hope, that we have peace, that we have the forgiveness of the sin, of sin fully and finally in the person of Jesus. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus. Lord, we're thankful for our church. We're thankful for your word that you lead us. And Lord, we come today as your people and we cry out. We have no remedy outside of you. We have no plan B. We have no second, second thing to turn to. We look to you. God, we cry out, move in our midst. Save us today. Deliver us today. Let the gospel ring out. Let your name, your banner be held high. Help us, Lord. Empower us. Use us. Lord, I pray for this hour, this service. I, I pray for a church that we would repent, that we wouldn't just speak words. We'd be tired of our sin. We'd walk away from our wickedness. We'd humble ourselves and exalt you, Lord. I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you, Lord, move in their heart. Help them, help them find you today. Turn to you. And your grace and your peace is offered to them. Lord, I pray for this coming hundred days. Lord, I ask that we would be obedient, that we'd be faithful I pray that we'd be useful. And I pray, Lord, that you would, you would cover it in your grace and in your blessing and your power. And I pray that, that every day is better than the pre previous day. And I pray that the gospel would go out and those that can't find hope would find hope and those that can't find peace would find peace, dear Lord. I pray that the name of Jesus would be heard and it would echo to the cracks and the crevices of darkness where they can't hear of your son. Lord, I pray that there'd be salvations. I pray that there be homes repaired and I pray that there be dads and moms that would get right. I pray that there are kids that would grow up in the nurture of the Lord because they heard of our Savior Jesus. Lord, we ask that you move. We ask that you work. We cry out to you. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us repent. Help us turn from our sin. Help us be different. And then I pray all of it for your name's sake. For the banner that we carry, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.